June 17th, 2010. VGN Radio presents Kevin's Old Blast Radio with your host, Kevin Bear. Tonight's topic, spies, acquisitions, diet, and clear. And I think I have an email or two that I can actually get to. Some of them are kind of old because I were sent to them on um, one of the other email addresses that I have, and I always forget them because the email for this show, if you want to write into the show, is kbaird at vgn.us. Some people write the editor at Video Game News. Some people write me on the website. Um, yeah, kbaird at, at vgn.us. That's the one. Um, welcome. Glad you are listening. Glad people have been sending positive feedback about all the shows we've been doing. I know that uh, they kind of go off and on with different topics. Uh, sometimes we get the interviews going, and sometimes, um, you know, it's just me. And this is one of the shows where it's just me. Um, tonight I want to talk a little bit about uh, spies, particularly spy communication, um, uh, because um, I was into it, and I did a lot of research on it, and I thought that... Uh, because a lot of it has to do with radio that a lot of you would find it uh, very interesting because you would be able to hear uh, a lot of the things. So I've actually put together a nice little uh, uh, package for tonight's show and uh, hopefully everybody um, gets to listen to it and find it interesting. Otherwise, if not, well, next week's show or whatever uh, probably will be another interview or something. So, you know, if this bores you, you can always move on to something else. Actually, I had a, uh, on a personal note, I had a... Um, uh, I went out and bought um, a couple of uh, chairs, and I found a giant bee's nest under my um, deck. That wasn't even there like a couple of weeks ago. I mean, bees apparently build uh, nests very quickly. I, I know this. I've seen the, seen it happen in my life, but um kind of caught me off guard because I kind of walked right over, and then all these bees popped up. They weren't mad or anything. It wasn't like some Bugs Bunny cartoon where they all formed in a big swarm and attacked me or anything, but they were just all buzzing around, and I was like, ah, so... Um, I went under there and sprayed it with a bunch of um, you know, wasp and hornet, you know, spray. But um, I'm not sure I got them all, so I'm probably going to have to go out there again. I ran out of spray. I mean, I sprayed like the whole can at it, but um, I don't know. They're still buzzing around. I mean, it might take them a while to die. Um, but uh, yeah, I got to get it out of there because it sucks. Um, that's the one bad thing about having a big deck. Um, the the deck I have used to have a like a sort of like a lattice that goes all the way around the outside of it, and um, you know, uh, when I got the house, all the lattice was broken off and stuff, um, except for, like, one area. And um, I was thinking, you know, well, I can, you know, eventually get some new lattice and uh, and nail it up. But now that I'm thinking about it, I go, maybe the guy that used to live there, you know, tore it out of there because he was always going under there to kill bees nests. You know, this is actually the second nest so far this year, you know, and it's only, like, June. So, um, yeah, it's a problem. And it's not like there's a bunch of bees flying all over the place. I just think they like that, um, you know, they like to make it under there. So, I don't know. I might just have to, like, get a bunch of spray and just treat the wood with, like, bug spray, you know, and uh, take care of it that way. Okay, all right, let's move on. Um, so, in about, is somewhere around, like, 1982, but uh, it, it may have been earlier, a radio station uh, was found on uh, the shortwave AM band, um, broadcasting on a frequency of... Uh, uh, 4.625 kilohertz and uh, well megahertz uh, 4625 kilohertz and uh, it, um, it just had a tone and I'll I will play it for you
that annoying tone, which sounds kind of like a truck horn, is called the buzzer. Uh, that's the, the name of the radio station, um, and uh, people referred to it as, as the buzzer for many, many years. It played nonstop for, um, until today. It, it continues to broadcast. Um, there was some news postings out um, about a month, about a month ago, uh, maybe less than that, about how it went off the air, and uh, it did not actually go off the air. Um, there's been some solar activity, uh, and um, with shortwave, when you have solar events and things like that, it can um, uh, decrease the range of the signal that travels. And uh, so some people thought that the signal had actually gone down because it's been broadcasting nonstop um, for 28 years at least. Um, so uh, this sparked off a mystery in my head, and I said, well, what the heck is this thing? And so I did a bunch of, uh, you know, like anybody would, I went on the Wikipedia and I went searching around and everything. And um, essentially, there is a broadcast station inside Russia, and uh, it is... Uh, located um, about, uh, I think it's 20 miles, um, maybe maybe a little bit further than that, northwest of uh, Moscow. And there is a uh, satellite image on Wikipedia of it, and uh, you can you can view it. And this station has broadcast this tone uh, repeatedly for forever. And most people believe that it is what they call a numbers station. And you might say, well, what is a number station? I've never heard of such a thing. Well, neither did I. And a number station is used by spies in foreign countries. Um, the way it works is, um, well, I think the best way is, is that I will play you a number station and then explain to you what it is so you get a better idea. This is a recording I have of a number station put out by Germany, and it's called the Swedish Rhapsody. It's a little long, but I'm going to play it up to a certain point so you get the idea. Um, I'm going to, you know, so maybe a, uh, actually like three minutes. Um, give it a give it a listen, and then we'll uh, talk about it.
So you get the idea. So what is going on there? Well, that is uh, code. Yeah, probably obvious. What it is, though, is that they uh, spies use what they call a one-time pad. This is actually well-known. This is what they do. Uh, the CIA operates one of these. Chinese operate one of these. Cubans operate one of these. Uh, the Israelis operate one of these. The Iranians actually operate a station which jams the Israeli station. Uh, the um, how it works is that you have a spy. You send the spy over to another country, and uh, the spy has what they call a one-time pad. A one-time pad is uh, not necessarily actually a pad of paper. It's basically a uh, code. And um, imagine, say, um, a group of letters, uh, you know, in sets of five. Um, going across the page. So five letters, five letters, five letters, five letters. And then below that you have uh, a bunch of different uh, letters, just below those letters. Um, completely different. Uh, and five, 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 five. And uh, these are um, patterns that are done one time and done completely randomly. So uh, what happens here is that, uh, and, and it may be numbers over letters or whatever. Um, so for instance, the Swedish Rhapsody that we just heard um, that ice cream truck noise may have been a, um, the number of times it is played, for instance, may tell the spy that uh, they need to look at, say, page four, because it was played four times. And then the, um, uh, the, the little girl's voice that comes on starts reading out the um, numbers and, and or letters in German, uh, which he then, or he or she, the spy, matches to... Um, the grouping of letters on the one-time pad and start spelling out a message. The one-time pad, the reason this is done, is unbreakable. It is uh, scientifically proven that you cannot crack the one-time pad unless you, uh, the person that is producing the pad makes duplicates of it, which did actually happen. The Russians in World War II were um, using the one-time pad for their spies and the um, United States was actually able to um, listen to uh, a number of their um, trade, um, uh, 
transmissions that were going back and forth because the Russians actually produced um, duplicates pages in um, of their one-time pads, which enabled them to listen to some of the transmissions. However, when used properly, uh, they are absolutely unbreakable. So these radio stations tend to be a little mysterious because uh, they um, pop up on the radio um, at unknown times and uh, broadcast out these messages. Now, some stations actually um, have set schedules, and um, some of the uh, ham radio operators and the shortwave radio listeners out there actually know um, if the... Uh, you know, the transmission schedule and what it was and everything like that, but they don't have no idea what, what the messages are. Um, Swedish Rhapsody is a little bit more um, interesting than a lot of them. A lot of them tend to sound uh, a little bit like, um, well, let's see, like this. Eight, two, one. Eight, two, one. Eight, two, one. Eight. Two, one, seven, zero, four, seven, zero, four, four, two, four, two. Which is obviously really boring. So this is this um these uh, these numbers tend to be, you know, a lot of countries know about them, so a lot of radio stations don't actually broadcast until they actually want to send their spy stuff, because uh, some countries will actually go ahead and jam. Like I said about Iran, they'll actually jam the signals from the, um, uh, the Israelis one. Um, the Chinese, for instance, also have a jammer, and uh, this is actually a recording of their jammer in action. So, uh, the reason that um, the people thought and think that uh, UVB-76 that I was talking about earlier is actually a spy station is because after about 20 years, um, the uh, Soviets actually uh, broadcast on uh, December 24th with a um, Russian voice that said... Um, yeah, UVB 76, 18008, Bromel, Boris, Roman, Olga, Mikhail, Anna, Larissa, 742, 799, uh, It was repeated several times, and then the uh, buzzer continued to rock out. Then in 2002, uh, a distorted voice came out and said UVB 76, UVB 76, 62691, Isafet 3693, And then finally, the uh, Russians uh, broadcast, I should say finally, because it could still happen again, but the Russians came back with another broadcast, and uh, this time it um, is recorded. And it sounds like this. Hello. 
What he actually said there, even though I know it's all muffled, but I wanted you to have a, a good uh, listen to actually what it sounded like, um, is, a, is a set of numbers, basically. 755975593952535855252. Constantine, 1909089. Tatiana, Oksana, Anna, Elena, Pavel, Shuka, Constantine, 8497559. Tatiana, Anna, Larissa, Uliana, 9414348. So, Everybody thinks this is code. It is code. Now, I'll tell you what I did. I'll tell you what, what actually I did. I got really interested in this, and I said, well, this is this is bizarre. And I went all over the Internet, and I did a lot of scouring and things like that, and I read all the information about it. And uh, Wikipedia says that uh, it's doubtful that it's actually owned by the military and that it may actually be used, uh, this radio station, for a Doppler method for ionosphere research because in the Russian Journal of Earth Sciences, there's an experiment that's listed there that says that... Um, uh, they are um, using it to uh, measure the um, uh, geophysical events in the atmosphere, and they use the actual same frequency, 4.625. Um, but it wouldn't make a lot of sense. Um, for one thing, the Russians likely aren't going to be doing this since the 70s or the early 80s, um, broadcasting this nonstop on this station. I mean, they, the, the country was, you know, broke for a while. They, they had a revolution. Uh, the sciences and researches probably wasn't funded. Um and uh, the building doesn't uh, that the uh, that it's actually broadcasting out of doesn't actually really have um, a lot of listening. It, it's mainly used for broadcasting. doesn't doesn't really listen. Um, and if you look actually look at the uh, image, there's a bunch of uh, lines coming out of the building, um, which has uh, cleared the trees. Uh, these aren't power lines; they are telegraph lines. So I'll tell you what I did. I went online and I found a ham radio website uh, that um, was discussing uh, UVB uh, seven six in uh, 2004 and it was in Russian so I used the uh, Google Translate and I translated all the pages of the Russian and read through the entire thing and um, it was very it was fairly interesting uh, the um, the people in the uh, in the room uh, a lot of them didn't know what it was but then there was a lot of people that were actually in the Russian military and actually uh, broke down exactly what it is and um, essentially in the enlistment offices uh, throughout the uh, Soviet Union and the Russian um, government today, because um, the Russian uh, UVB 
Just the reason I say Soviet Union, uh, the the call letters UB, UVB seven uh, seven six means that it's actually Ukrainian. Um, however, it is located in Russia. Uh, maybe they did that to um, you know try and fool people or whatever it was about the location of the radio station at the time because um, it is actually um, you know today it's you know we we probably you know our government can figure out where a radio broadcast is coming from probably very quickly because we probably have listening satellites all over the place that can discover these kinds of things but um even you know back in the 70s it, I, I believe it was still difficult and as far as ham radio operators are concerned shortwave radio operators are concerned or the public is concerned it's still very difficult to know a point of broadcast especially when it's coming out of a like a foreign country that you don't generally have access to because you know you could probably triangulate it in the United States you know you get three radios together and you all just kind of spread out and you look for it but can't really do that, you know, you can't just drive around Russia and stuff with radios. I mean, maybe today you can, but you might get killed and dragged out of your car or something. So, um, yeah, so the enlistment offices have um, a, uh, a, a telegraph. They, they get a telegraph communication, probably from this same building. And uh, the telegraph uh, sends, or, you know, sends the orders to the uh, duty officer that's on board who has a one-time pad. And uh, he compares that to the uh, uh, telegraph transmission that's coming in, and uh, then that is his orders for the day. And um, what happens, though, is that the um, uh, with a telegraph, you don't necessarily know the telegraph is on, unless it's working. Um, if the power goes off on a telegraph, it doesn't actually do anything, you know what I mean? It's, it's dead. Yes, they might power a light with it or something, or or whatever, but if the power goes off, you know, the light go might go off, but how often is the duty officer that's on duty going to be actually looking at the light to see if the light's on or off? You know, he's, he's not. So what they have done is they have a, um, a, uh, a circuit that um, when the power goes dead, the radio comes on, and the radio is tuned to uh, the buzzer, the, 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 horn, the horn blast. And uh, this becomes sort of like an alarm to the person that the um, to to the duty officer that uh, the transmission lines have been interrupted, and it uh, enables him to know that um, you know the telegraph isn't going to work, and and he now can actually get instructions via the radio. So um, a couple of times in history, as uh, you know, I mentioned and as, as we heard, uh, this uh, system was actually used because probably the telegraph line was down at a time and they were delivering orders or they were testing it. But generally they don't have to test it because the horn noise that's being broadcast is actually being broadcast over an open mic. It's not actually a machine doing it, you know, straight out the microphone. There's actually a microphone there that's listening and they have an air horn there that's, that's blowing. And they probably use an air horn because even if you have electrical dis in, in, interruption during a war or something, um, you probably could get somebody to turn the crank on that air horn and continue with the buzzer noise. It may have actually happened in the past because the tones of the buzzer have actually changed in, 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 pa in the past. So um, then the person gets the one-time card, they read the instructions, and that's the duty officer's duties for the day. Now, of course, none of this has been um, verified. Uh, nobody's going to come out of the Russians and be like, yes, it's, it is a... Uh this is how we deliver all our orders to everyone. We want them to. We want you all to know that that is how we control our military, so you can destroy it. Um, no, they're not going to do that. But um, uh, it's one reason, you know, that also that uh, it's probably not a high high frequency Doppler method for the ionosphere research. Because if it was a research building, uh, the Russians would do a little bit more than put out one little article about it, um, you know, years ago uh, about how to do it at a certain frequency. So. Um, uh, generally considered by the Russians that it uh, is part of the army. 
Um, a lot of guys that went in there actually said that uh, they had heard that buzz before when they were um, in the duty room. And, um, you know, it's just a way for the Russians to deliver orders during a nuclear attack. And you may say, well, why do they still use freaking telegraph, man? We've got telephone here. You know, it's the digital age and everything. Uh, if you think, if if you actually think about it, telegraph is actually uh, very reliable. It, it's a system which, um, you know, you don't need very much to, to to get it to operate. You need a little bit of, you need some power, and uh, you need a, you know, a, basically a tap device. And so, if the building actually got taken out uh, somewhere down the transmission line, somebody could, you know, pull up with a with a generator, maybe even using uh, cars uh, or a truck's electrical power, and um, provide orders. And all they have would have to have is the, uh, you know, the keys to the one-time pad in order to send the messages. So, uh, very reliable. Probably would even work in like nuclear attack or something, you know. Um, and, and this is the you know the way they built their system to be very redundant and very reliable in order to um, to handle this. Of course, if it was a nuclear attack, it, I doubt the shortwave radio would even work. I mean, it would just be completely blown out of the water. But um, you know, the Russians they do things uh, very mysterious, very strange all the time, and uh, this is one of those things. Um, if you if you find this really interesting at all, you might want to check out um, also something called the Russian woodpecker. Uh, the Russian woodpecker was a um, giant uh, steel scaffolding array of um, antenna that um, was at, one of them was at Chernobyl, uh, the nuclear power plant that actually blew up. And uh, the woodpecker um, was a uh, interesting um, experimental device that uh, used a, a hell of a lot of power. And the, it, when they would turn it on, um, nobody knew what it was um, back in the day, because this was back in the Soviet Union days when no one was allowed in the country and the Soviets didn't actually say what they were doing. Um, but they would, um, uh, people would hear it on their shortwave radios. They would hear this, like, a very loud um, woodpecker-like noise, this knock, 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 knock type of noise. And um, uh, it would disrupt uh, signals and stuff, and there would be protests and everything to the, to the Russian government. And um, it, it was actually used by the Russians to, um, uh, it was radar that could go over the horizon of the earth, basically go over the circumference of the earth and see, um, they would use it to um, detect, uh, bla you know, um, blasts from, um, and, and missile launches. Um, so um, I, I don't know how, how effective it was. I don't even know if anybody knows, you know, any details about it because um, the Russians tend to, uh, you know, the Soviets didn't really say, yes, we were detecting all your, your nuclear missile launches, you know, things like that. I mean, that's all spy stuff. They're not really going to talk about it. But you can go on Google Maps and you can actually do um, searches for, like, Chernobyl and the woodpecker. And uh, you can see that the scaffolding is still there. The satellite images are still there. And you can see it's, it's gigantic. It looks like skyscrapers worth of metal sitting out there. And, um, and then, of course, you can do some, uh, a little bit of reading about it. It, it, it. It's fairly interesting stuff. I mean, the Russians have all kinds of things like this. Another thing you can look at um, if you get bored is what they call nuclear lighthouses. Uh, nuclear lighthouses. The Russians basically, you know, their northern border has a bunch of... Um, rocks and things and it's freezing cold and nobody really wanted to go out there and work in a freaking lighthouse back then because you know gps didn't exist any you know um the russians actually never used gps that's the american system they had something called glomass um that they eventually put together which was similar but um the uh, uh the russians um you know at the time they had used lighthouses just like everybody else did well they didn't want to sit there and uh station people out at these lighthouses all the time because it was difficult and you know you can't 
stick people on a rock and hope they survive. You got to deliver them food and everything, and they're not in the most hospitable places. So they actually built lighthouses out of um, uh, and powered them through um, nuclear fuel. And uh, you can find a lot of pictures and things out on the internet of people that have gone to these things who are out of their mind because they're highly radioactive, but they went into them anyway and took pictures and um, all that kind of good stuff. And, and the Russians have a lot of things like this. So uh, pretty cool, very interesting, uh, and I thought maybe you would all enjoy um, hearing a little bit about that. Now, as far as the, um, uh, the other stuff is concerned... Um, with spies, I want to talk, uh, since we're on radio, I want to talk a little bit, and we talk about World War II, we talk a little bit about propaganda radio. And uh, there was actually um, propaganda radio broadcasts that were happened during World War II, uh, the most famous of which is um, Tokyo Rose. Tokyo Rose wasn't actually a person. It was a, na- it was a generalized name for um, a lot of different um, broadcasts that came out of uh, Japan that were used to sort of discourage uh, U.S. sailors when they were heading out um, to war, uh, you know, overseas. Um, because if you're out at sea, you can't really pick up American radio stations and listen to American music. And the radio stations that a lot of the islanders had, if they had any, and, you know, maybe the Philippines and things like that, was mostly local music, which wasn't necessarily the kind of music that American soldiers wanted to listen to. So the Japanese would broadcast American-style music um, for, the, for the sailors, and, um, and then uh, basically Tokyo Rose, um, whichever announcer it was at the time, um, would come on the air and, and, and sound, you know, uh, cheerful and upbeat and everything, but then, you know, basically say something along the lines of, you know, um, you know uh, your, your wife has left you or um, your, um, you know, America's just going to let you, go, you know, die out there for nothing and, and, and things like that and, and just demoralize the troops, between, which they wouldn't know, you know, at the time when they had the music on and stuff like that, because, you know, they're out for a very long time, and they all think they're going to die anyway, and then you got somebody sitting there telling you, you know, that you are going to die, and that everything's going to be lost. Um, I'm not going to play any Tokyo Rose broadcasts, only because um, the ones that I found um, generally uh, play a lot of music and don't have a lot of um, interesting audio. So, um, but that's something that you can actually go on YouTube and look up uh, Tokyo Rose broadcast, and there's all Little Orphan Anne, all this sort of stuff. There's all these different ones out there that you can listen to their their broadcasts and um, see what that's out about all about. Um, on the Western Front, um, we had uh, there was there was basically three of them. Um, there was uh, Robert Henry Best, which um, he uh, was an American, and uh, he. Um, he was convicted of tre- treason and sentenced to life in prison after the end of the war. And so I'll play for you um, a little bit of uh, one of his broadcasts because, you know, American's probably the easiest for everybody to, to understand. It is for this reason, of course, that I, Robert H. Best, a native born and forever loyal son of South Carolina, have thrown my hat into the ring also in the campaign for congressional seats. As I have told you in previous talks, I realize quite well that I cannot return to America until the war is already a thing of the past. Wherefore, I cannot occupy any of the seats to which you elect me in November. By voting for me, however, you will be registering an effective and absolutely legal protest against the greatest betrayal in history, namely, against the betrayal of America to the kite by America's renegade number one. Franklin D. Roosevelt. Most of you will remember, I trust, 
The story I told you some weeks ago about Deacon Hardshell and his way of voting by writing across every ballot at every election the words, There ain't nary a one fit. You are today in a position to register a scorching protest, not only in Deacon Hardshell's negative way, but also in a real positive way. At a certain amount of danger to my own life, I have provided you with a way of voting positively by remaining myself in Europe and launching my protest candidature within the frame of the Triple B radio program to which you are now listening. For me, for myself, and for your children, you can cast a vote in any of several ways which I have explained in previous talks. You can write my name, for instance, or simply three B's in large letters across every ballot. Or you can draw a line through every name on every ballot. Or merely one line through the whole ballot. Or you can take the easiest way of all and simply remain deliberately away from the polls entirely. With method number one, you register a real and a positively manly and womanly vote for me and for yourself and for civilization's crusade, of course. While with method number two, you invalidate the ballot in a gesture of negative contempt. And with the third method, you save your time for more worthwhile things than voting in a Jew-controlled election. Any of these three methods, however, is a vote directly against Roosevelt and at least indirectly, a vote for my candidature and for your welfare. Take your choice and act according to your own conscience. Okay, I won't go on with it. It goes on for a little bit longer. But basically, you know, you can hear that he's you know, anti-Semitism and, uh, you know, he's really anti-Roosevelt. Um, Henry Best was uh, arrested. Um, he went to trial. He actually served as his own um, uh, lawyer in court and uh, lost. He um, was sentenced to life imprisonment, and um, he eventually died of a brain hemorrhage in 1952. Um, so uh, he was uh, one of a couple of, of Americans that did, I don't have broadcasts of the other guy, that did um, broadcasts for um, uh, the, the, the Nazis during World War II. Uh, uh, one of the more famous ones, um, especially for the British, was a guy by the name of William Joyce, uh, who was named Lord, called himself Lord Haw Haw, and um, Haw Haw actually um, broadcast all the time from the mainland over to um, uh, England, and he would often um, say that he uh, was, um, you know, Berlin calling, and uh, would, um, you know, basically broadcast rhetoric about how the English should just uh, give up and all this sort of stuff and not fight. So, I have a little bit here of um, Lord Haha. This is his final broadcast. I'm not going to play the whole thing because it's about seven minutes long and it's a little bit too long. Um, I don't want to spend the whole radio show on it. I, I still want to talk about Axis Sally. So, um, I'll play a little bit for you so um, you get the idea of um, what this kind of thing was like during the war. What is interesting about this, though, um, you, you know, when you hear these old broadcasts today, um, it's not like people had a bunch of tape recorders back then. Um, you know, you, you didn't have cassette tape. You didn't have 8-track. Uh, you know, basically you had reel-to-reel, um, and uh, that was very rare. And um, to basically, you know, um, tape record stuff off the radio, especially a propaganda broadcast, would be very unusual. 
Um, so the fact that these broadcasts were taped um, anyway and are available is pretty amazing um, because, uh, you know, you, you generally, if there was a war going on, you generally wouldn't want to be the guy caught taping a propaganda broadcast and then trying to explain it to the local authorities that you were um, recording it for historical reasons and things, unless, you know, that was something you did. So, um, you know, it, 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 it is a very interesting voice of the past. Um, this is uh, the final broadcast of um, Lord Haha that he broadcast on May 1945, um, which is right at the end of the war when Germany is about to capitulate. And um, uh, Haha had a tendency to drink a lot before he broadcast. So here you go. This evening, I am talking to you about Germany. That is a concept that many of you may have failed to understand. Let me tell you that in Germany, there still remains the spirit of unity and the spirit of strength. Let me tell you that here we have a united people who are modest in their wishes. They are not imperialists. They don't want to take what doesn't belong to them. All they want is to live their own simple lives, undisturbed by outside influences. That is the Germany that we know. I can remember when I cast my memory back to 1932 and 1931. I can remember how everything that could be done to stimulate the hatred of England against Germany was done. I remember how my old friend said, what shall we do with this man Hitler? He wants Poland. He wants Czechoslovakia. What shall we do if he wants more than that? Now, it does behove you to think at the moment how much Stalin has taken and how much Stalin wishes. I ask you to remember that in 1939, in August, the only question was that of bringing Danzig back the Reich. No more and no less. What a small problem that was in comparison with those that confront us today. Surely, if only we had had the common sense to agree the German people of Danzig should go back to the Reich, then we might have had peace. We might have avoided all the terrible sacrifices of the last five and a half years 
we might have avoided the hatred which can only be very gradually repaired. Now I say to you, my English listeners, the trouble is this. Germany, if you like, is not anymore the chief factor in Europe. Okay, so you get the general idea. Um, Lord Haha was hung and executed by the British. Uh, there's some um, controversy surrounding that, mainly because, you know, um, uh, the other uh, broadcasters of the time weren't treated as harshly, and uh, so there was, um, you know, uh, you know, why was he the one that was executed and all this sort of stuff, but, um, you know, the end of wars, if you're, if you're found uh, to be treasonous, or even not during a war, if you're found to be treasonous, uh, you you might get killed. Uh, you know what happens? The United States executes people for treason. Uh, many countries execute people for treason. Um, so uh, you know, some people you, you know it's not really a good defense to be like, um, well, you know, he didn't get killed. I why do I have to die? Uh, you know, people have been killed for less when it comes to uh, uh, you know uh, treasonous acts. It's one of the more serious things. Um, I have to uh, tell people all the time that um, you know. Uh, like that guy, that, um, that that Pakistani dude, when he blew that, you know, well, he lit those fireworks off, basically, in the New York City with that car, before the big oil spill happened, you know, um, with that guy, and, um, you know, he had the gas cans and all this stuff in his car, and he was telling, he was telling the police, oh, I worked alone, you know, I, I did this all on my own. Well, the reason he wanted to say that he acted alone is because, um, you know, it, it can be uh, much bigger trouble for him if he looks like he's part of Al-Qaeda or, um, or the war on terror. You know what I mean? Um, not exactly treason because he wasn't an American citizen, um, but it's still on the same lines where you just don't really want to go that direction because, you know, you gotta, you, you end up in the prison forever, basically, if you're in that situation. If you're just like a guy that's like, well, I just try to blow buildings up, they might put you in jail for 30 years or something and then let you out because, I mean, you know, nobody died, so... You know, if you, if you could get if you could get away with saying, you know, I just um, I was stupid or whatever, then you know maybe you could get out. But now he's screwed because they linked him back to uh, the people in Pakistan and everything. So, you know, he's done. His his life's over. You know, he, he's going to be in there forever. And then if they do do anything with him, you know, maybe they'll execute him or they'll put him on an island like they did with those Chinese people. They'll just put him out in some freaking South American island somewhere and just forget about him. So. Um, yeah, crazy stuff. Okay, uh, I have um, another one here. This is um, oh, I lost it. Okay, now I gotta find it. Hold on. Uh, give me one second, because I shut off that one. It didn't work. Okay, this is Axis Sally, and um, hopefully this is a good recording of her. Just imagine sitting out on the old uh, back court in a sweet old rocking chair and listening to the birds at twilight. Instead of that, the boys are over there in the hot, sunny desert, longing for home and for what? Fighting for our friends. Well, 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 since when are the British our friends? Now, girls, come on, be honest. As one American to another, do you love the British? Well, of course the answer is no. Do the British love us? Well, I should say not. But we are fighting for them, 
We're shedding our good young blood for this kite war, for this British war. Oh, girls, why don't you wake up? I mean, after all, the women can do something, can't they? So I will try to, to realize where the situation is leading us to. Because it is the downfall of civilization if it goes on like that. After all, let the British get out of their own mess, girls. And let God save the king. If he's worthy of it, I'm sure God can. At least there's no reason for we Americans to get mixed up in double messes. Don't you agree with me? Well, girls, I'm sorry that the time is really nearly up now. And just in closing, girls, I'd like to ask you one question on the level, straight from the shoulder. If your child behaves badly, do you agree with its misbehavior? Do you say to yourself, my child, right or wrong, I don't care what he does? No, you don't. You try to correct that child. You try to make him a better citizen. Well, and what is a country? A country is only made up of people, after all. Do you say, my country, right or wrong? No, girls. That's false sentimentality. And I do not say my country right or wrong. I love America, but I do not love Roosevelt and all of his tight boyfriends who have thrown us into this awful turmoil. And I'll stick to my guns as long as I can tire them, girls. So you've not heard the last of me, and I'm sure that you'll not pick up your radio because you will want to hear more of what Berlin is saying through the medium of an American girl. And do you remember when you were a little girl, perhaps, and your father gave you a beating? Well, I mean, it did happen sometimes, didn't it? But not so very hard. And then father said to you, this hurts me more than it does you. Well, I remember father saying that to me once. And I looked up into his eyes when he said, this hurts me more than it does you. And I thought he was an awful person. But daddy only did it for my good. And girls, that's why I'm making life much harder for me than I need to make it by staying over here in Berlin and trying to give you the truth straight from my heart. Girls, watch out. Become America conscious. Don't forget the beautiful things we have at home, which are now in danger of being jeopardized by the Jewish and the British. Good night, girls. Okay, so uh, that's actually Sally, and uh, there was actually this that that, that uh, broadcast actually came out of um, uh, YouTube, and there was actually a little comment here from this guy, and he said, "En route to the target for most missions, we were entertained by Axis Sally broadcasting from Berlin. She had a very sexy voice and an excellent inventory of popular American music, which was alternated with her intelligence reports." Quote, good morning, Yankees. This is Axis Sally with the tunes that you like to hear and a warm welcome from Radio Berlin. I know that the 461st is en route this morning to Linz, where you will receive a warm welcome. By the way, Sergeant Robert Smith, you remember Bill Jones, the guy with the flashy convertible who always had an eye on your wife, Annabelle? Well, they have been seen together frequently over the past few months, and last week he moved in with her. Let's take a break here and listen to some of Glenn Miller. End quote. It was not a morale builder for the GIs, even when she was wrong. We could only listen for a short time as we went on radio silence when approaching occupied territory. So uh, uh, she's also portrayed in the movie Miracle at Santa Ana, which is a terrible movie. Um, and she looks really hot in Miracle of at, at Santa Ana, but uh, she wasn't really hot in real life. Um, but yeah, you can find out more about Access Alley also on Wikipedia in order to check it out. So uh, that's basically it about the radio broadcast stuff and the spy stuff. I mean, obviously, I'm not going to talk about um, 
everything I know about spies, but it's another thing, another topic of discussion. Um, you know, uh, we can always talk about. If you want to write into the show um, with comments of your own, uh, you know, send an email to kbaird at vgn.us. See, I'm like a human number station myself, and uh, you can check it out and um, and all that good stuff. You can also find more information about this show by going to videogamenews.com. And the first post on the front page, if you click on that, it tells you how to get all the shows, email, contact information, all that good stuff. Uh, definitely check it out. And um, there's also a forum there you know, you can go into and ask questions of everyone and, and uh, get that stuff going on. Um, okay, so uh, I did say you know, I have a couple of emails. I wanted to read those off first. Um, and then I'm going to uh, discuss some of the alternate topics that we have. Uh, this one actually comes from Karate Dog. Uh, he's commenting on the um, Auschwitz um, gas chamber uh, conversation I had, uh, I don't know, about maybe half a dozen oblasts back. Um, he says, the guy who went to Auschwitz was Fred A., I'm going to screw this up, uh, Loiter Jr., who was renowned as expert at designing effective human device, humane devices to administer the death penalty. He went to Auschwitz to take chemical readings on the structures, which tested negative for cyanide. When he got back to the U.S., he couldn't get his old job back designing death penalty devices, probably because he videotaped himself trespassing into a death camp giggling like a jackass and giving inter interviews to the press. The movie they made about it is called, quote, Mr. Death, end quote, by Errol Morris. It's fantastic. I mean, does it really matter, the logistics of the Holocaust, if they didn't actually use cyanide gas on people in Auschwitz? Isn't it likely they just burn people alive? I'm pretty sure that at the... Wan C conference, they came up with ways to make the murder process efficient and systematized. Likely because you can't have regular German army guys shooting civilians all day without having most of them snap. And yes, German people are good at systemizing stuff. Well, that's kind of it for me on the Holocaust. I mean, it's important to understand the Holocaust to understand World War II, and the Holocaust is probably the thing that, along with the atomic bomb, let people know that modernism can lead to some pretty fucked up shit. Stuff from World War I, like automatic firearms and trench warfare, are, I guess pretty modern, but World War II is when things got really hairy. It doesn't really matter, though. Right now, there's a generation of kids that think that Hitler was blown up in a movie theater by by Brad Pitt. Peace out. Yeah, I, I completely agree with everything Karate Dog is saying. Uh, it, it was a lot of my points uh, in the broadcast. Um, I don't, you know, to you and I, uh, when we talk about what a, what a Holocaust is, it's the death of all of the Jews. But, um, you know, the Holocaust deniers um, are basically saying that it was not a... Um, it was not a systematic process, and it was not a order that came down from Hitler himself. Um, you know, maybe it was uh, directed by Himmler, but it was not part of, say, um, Nazi ideology uh, to, to murder all the Jews, which is bullshit. I mean, we all know it's bullshit. Um, but, you know, they, they point to the lack of evidence, and, um, you know, that's where it uh, uh, gets hairy. I, I don't know why anybody would want to come to the defense uh, of, of, of such things, but, uh, you know, who knows why people do what they do. Um you know, I won't go into it anymore because it's, you know, so sad and everything. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I will check out that movie, uh, Mr. Death. Although I bet there's probably a hundred movies called Mr. Death. So I'll have to look for the one by Errol Morris. Um, also, I got an uh, email on um, the forums quite a while ago um, from D&D uh, &D Man, Danned Man. And uh, he wrote in and said, uh, Kevin, Kevin, I couldn't find an email address for your old blast radio show. I know that I am probably not looking hard enough. Yeah, it's kbaird at vgn.us. I thought I would send my message through the forum's private message. I know that you like talking about politics, so I thought I would go through in some thoughts. I live in Utah. Everyone thinks of Mormons when I mention that, and they should. The Utah population is about 70% Mormon. 
The question everyone asks is, what is it like? Well, it's a pretty mixed bag. There are some upsides. Crime rates are low, and so are alcoholism and drug abuse, except for meth. Then again, there are a lot of downsides. The major downside is that, for all intents and purposes, Utah is a theocracy. It really, truly is. It's so difficult to get elected if you are not Mormon or do not support all of the Mormon ideals. Sure, maybe you could become a congressman for Salt Lake, which has a low Mormon population, but for the most part, you either have to be a Mormon or at least a Republican to be elected. Now, I don't have anything against Republicans, but it is a bad thing when too many of the same thinking people get in office. You get insane measures like Utah's liquor laws. It makes me crazy and want to get out of here as soon as possible. Thanks for all the shows. I find them entertaining. Michael. Yeah, one thing about Utah also is that uh, it has the highest um, population, uh, Salt Lake City does, of um, male, uh, male prostitutes. Um, and uh, the reason that is is because um, uh, when the males no longer want to follow... Um, uh, the Mormon religion, um, even at a very young age, they um, are, uh, you know, banished, essentially, from the family and pushed out into the streets. And so then they have to go out and, um, you know, make a living or something on their own and end up becoming uh, male prostitutes. Um, yeah, I, uh, you know, I... Mormonism is a, um, a religion that's actually, there's a lot of it around here in uh, the Cleveland area um, because uh, basically, um, I think it's Joseph Smith, right? Or is it John Smith? I think it's Joseph Smith um, uh, was through this area and uh, the um, I'm looking this up just to make sure I got my facts right um, essentially though um, if you don't know uh, too much about Mormons um, and there's a lot to know, and I'm just going to briefly summarize a little bit about it. Um, there was a, a, this gentleman, uh, Joseph Smith uh, Jr., who had um, uh, basically, I think it was eating dinner or something, and uh, he was visited by an angel, and uh, the angel um, had given him a sacred text that was given to him on golden plates, and um, he... Uh, used this and he uh, developed his church and um, this new this new testament of um, of, of God and, um, and 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 the followers of Christ it's considered a, um, a new testament among the Mormons of, of Jesus Christ he was given to this by an angel and um, and, and created it's interesting to note that um, uh, this is also very similar to um, uh, the Muslim religion um, because uh, Muhammad, was visited by um, the angel Gabriel, who also um, told Muhammad to write his, um, uh, you know, words down, essentially, into the, into the Koran. Um, uh, the Koran is um, not a very, uh, it's, not a, it's not a book that you can read and make any real sense out of. Um, the reason that is is because the the um, you don't have any of the um, the the reference that um, Muhammad had uh, when he was um, writing it, and so the way the Mormon excuse me the way the um, uh, Muslim see they both have M's in it whoo I uh, know but the way the Muslims um, actually translate the um, the Quran is uh, through other books um, in script I should say not books but scripts um, called Hadith. And the Hadith is used as the, um, uh, the reference for what the Quran is actually supposed to be saying. And what's interesting about the Hadiths is that there are many of them. 
and not all Mormon or Muslims um, subscribe to the same uh, sets of hadiths, and so you end up with um, a lot of uh, different translations of the Muslim religion and um, different uh, um, uh, rules, you know, that that people have to follow. Um, it basically is a religion that can be twisted to anyone's benefit, however they want to. Um, uh, utilize it. Um, it is, uh, you know, also the thing that's interesting about Islam is that it's actually two systems in one. It is a, a religion um, and it is also a political system. And uh, this is because basically Muhammad was involved in wars and was um, very often using the combination of religion and war to further the ends of the Muslim population uh, that he was building in order to fight his wars. And unfortunately, uh, for the rest of the world, the translations of, of these things often allow uh, people like your um, Osama bin Ladens um, to um, uh, point to evidence uh, within the Quran itself that uh, God has uh, ordered, um, you know, anyone who is not Muslim to be to be killed, and it's you know it's in there, it's written in there. No one's going to deny that it's written in there. Um, it is a really a, a battle, I think, within the um, the Muslim Church today to um, sort of look at these things and um, uh, you know translate them into something that is more um, modern versus something that is um, a very old and uh, uh, doesn't fit in with the, the world today. I mean, if you were to follow the, the um, Islamic uh, teachings that you know, are in the Quran, uh, the way they're written, you would end up with a, a system where um, the, you know, basically they should, the, the Muslim people should go out and kill all of the um, non-believers of, of the Muslim religion, and you're just not going to really have that kind of uh, um, a successful um, belief system if that's what you believe so you have to look at these things and and you know there are there are events and things i mean you know the um the, the, the christian bible um you know jesus uh, the, the the gospels of christ tend to be very you know pacifist um but some of the older testaments tend to be you know also have their own makings of um you know uh, killing and and that sort of thing and and you know the the modern uh, christian church because a lot of christians would be like you know well that's crazy you know but but if you actually look at some of the stuff, some of the stuff that's written in the you know the christian bible too is also a little bit you know crazy but we don't follow it because you know um th there are uh, understandings that go on when you, you you follow something that's more modernizing you know maybe uh stoning your 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 adultering wife isn't a good idea you know but um uh, the same thing with uh, with Islam. So with the Mormons, going back to them, because uh, I got off on a little tangent there about Islam. Um, yeah, Joseph Smith, uh, he settled in the South, uh, and uh, he had a lot of problems with people um, uh, creating, you know, um, uh, problems for that for him and his people. So they eventually wagon trained up to um, Utah, uh, you know, because he was told that that's where he should go and everything like that. And um, uh, Utah essentially was founded by the um, uh, the Mormon Church. And originally, the Mormons were um, uh, polygamists, and you know that's the thing that's always most famous about them. Um, uh, you know, is that they could have multiple wives and everything like that. And um, the uh, 
you know, that show Big Love and everything kind of talks, you know, and, and shows a um, sort of an orthodox um, Mormon viewpoint, if there is such a thing, um, and which, you know, there is still going on out there. But the uh, Church of Latter-day Saints no longer, you know, approves of um, uh, having multiple wives. And, you know, for the most part, I think that, uh, you know, everybody that I've known that's been Mormon is... You know, I don't. You know, some people say it's like a cult and things. Like that. I don't think that at all. I, I, I find them to be just as normal as um, any other Christian religion that's out there. They, the you know, the the Book of Mormon isn't anything more than um, you know some further teachings of uh, uh, peace and 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 um, a lot of uh, pa- pacifism. And um, I don't think that it is um, something that is leading anyone into anything. You know, I mean, sure, if you're religious, you know, you can say this about any religion. You know that. If you don't believe in the right religion, it's going to lead you to hell or something, you know, and whatever. But um, as far as, like, um, some sort of secret society that's going to rise up or something, I don't think so. It it has a very small population uh, at a global scale. And um, it, uh, you know, like, I think the the Catholics, I'm not sure if recently it's changed, but I know the Catholics always tra- uh, thought of it as a cult. It is, um, it is still a very small group. But, um, hey, man, the Mormon Tabernacle Choir, you know, that's good stuff. You know, that came to town, I'd, I'd probably go see it. So, um, yeah, I just don't, um, I don't think it's a big deal. But I, I, I feel your pain living in a, you know, a country with such, uh, or a state, excuse me, with such uh, severe um, liquor laws. And also the fact that Utah tends to be fairly desolate the way it is. Um, so, you know, if you weren't a follower of Mormonism, you know, you'd probably just leave. Um, but, uh uh, yeah, I guess you're right that um, you know people can't get elected if they don't follow through um, on the religious front. But that's true of a lot of you know southern states as well. Um, everybody has to have some um, some angle on it. It's only when you start to become like the president and stuff that you can kind of flex that around a little bit. Um, though there are no atheist presidents um, because you know they wouldn't get elected because there's a lot of people that believe in you know some kind of faith, and most people are happy to elect somebody that has some sort of faith. Um, in in order to get into office, although you know, not like we've had any Muslim or Jewish presidents or anything. So um, I don't think we've had any Jewish presidents anyway. It's mostly always been Christian. So um, pretty much all been Christian. I, I mean, I can't say for sure because I don't know. Like you know, the first five presidents we had, you know, was what was did George Washington go to church? I don't even know. Probably, I think everybody did. But I'll, you know, you hear what I'm saying. So anyway, that's pretty interesting. Um, okay. So let's see, I'm at about an hour, and um, I want to take a minute to talk a little bit about, uh, switch topics here and talk a little bit about acquisitions. Um, the, um, as we all know, the uh, stock market collapsed, and the um, country, you know, dropped into this um, sort of a, uh, uh, a period of um, letting people go, and uh, businesses selling off um, existing inventory and taking uh, essentially um, losses in order to um, toe the line and stay in business. And how this um, affects uh, businesses on the stock market is an interesting thing. See, on the stock market, um, investors aren't really interested in um, how profitable your business is uh, in terms of how your business is operating. If you, for instance, have a business and your business is operating effectively and you're making a profit, um, that's considered, you know, great. You know, that's wonderful. But that's not something that anybody wants to invest in. Um, let's say, for instance, you own five Burger Kings. Okay, you you own uh, not even Burger Kings because that's a franchise. You just own five burger joints. Okay, there are your five burger joints. 
um, call them, you know, the VGN burger joint, okay? And uh, you have just five, and you are making money on all five. You, you profit on all five burger joints, okay? So you would think that the stock market would be happy. They'd be like, cool, you're, you're profiting, and uh, we're, getting, we're getting a little bit of money coming in. You know, we get a little dividend, tiny little dividend on our stock. So um, that's wonderful. Actually, that's not wonderful because the investors do not like that. Um, investors want growth. They want their money and their value of their stock to be worth more. Stock is basically a piece of the company. If the company grows, so does your stock. And um, if the company stays the same, even if it's profitable, the stock that you have never actually grows. You get a little dividend, a little cash. You can reinvest that and buy more stock if it's available, but your stock doesn't grow. So the stock market wants all businesses to have growth. It's one of these really sort of stressful things that sort of fucks our company or our country up because it, um, it demands that companies that are even, you know, huge and profitable continue to um, grow and build out and grow and build out and, and grow. And, you know, it, you, you start off with your Walmarts and your Walmarts get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and spread all over the place and stuff. And this is because they, they're demanded to do this by their stock, you know. Um, so anyway, after the, uh, the fall of the, um, the collapse of the stock market, I guess we could call it that, or the recession, um, nobody's growing, right? Everybody is, uh, towing the line. I, I, you know, some places shrank, um, because they didn't have enough money, but you know, your larger, your larger companies, take your, take your Google, take your Microsoft, take your, take your Apple, for instance, you know, Apple, very, very successful. Um, a lot of these companies, uh, just sat on uh, what they were doing and, um, they didn't. Um, they didn't do a lot of growth. They sold existing inventory, and they didn't um, build new divisions and, and do things like they were doing, say, just a few years ago. Uh, Google, for instance, you know, you would always hear about them opening up some new the factory or new new company, you know, coming out with something like uh, Picasa or or uh, something like that. And and they kind of. Um, it's not to say that development is stopped because they still have the same people and they're still developing and, and stuff. But you don't hear about them opening up new facilities, and. Um, that's because, you know, money was hard to get. Uh, you have to be careful about your investments. You don't know how long this thing's going to last. There's a lot of trepidation and all this sort of stuff. Now, what happens is, is that uh, with, the stock, with, the, with, the, with the country the way it is right now, we still have, you know, really high unemployment, and uh, there's, there's worries about with a, you know, double-dip double recession and um, uh, how these interest rates and everything is going to affect um, uh, building out um, uh, any sort of new... Um, uh, industry, you know, if you were the, owning your burger joints, um, you might sit around and, and during this whole recession, you might have wanted to buy a new new burger place, but you were looking at everything and going, you know, this is really not the right time. Uh, the you know, people aren't buying burgers as much. It's you know, it's a premium item for people. Uh, you know, I've got the money to do it, but I'm I'm really not feeling too good about it because if I go ahead and I buy another burger place right now. What happens if we go into a double-dip recession? What happens if this happens again? What happens if the economy doesn't come back right now? I'm just not going to be able to profit the way I'm profiting from my other five burger joints if I buy a sixth one right now. So I'm not going to buy another one right now. I'm just going to hold on to my money. Well, you, you can do that. But again, your stock investors over time, which is the time is now, are starting to get a little antsy, and they're trying, starting to say, "Listen, you got to do something. You can't just hold on to all this cash 
that you have, you have to um, invest it and uh, give us some growth. We want growth, or your stock is going to be called lame, and uh, we're going to you know take our money elsewhere. So the thing that happens with a lot of businesses uh, right now is that they, uh, um, rather than opening, say, a sixth burger joint that's brand new from scratch, they say, hmm, that burger joint over there looks like they're doing pretty good with business. I think I'll go buy them. Acquisitions. Acquisitions and mergers. So we're going into a, uh, a time right now. It's, it's going on right now. And you're going to be hearing more about it over the course of the next year or so, where businesses will start a, um, a lot of um, uh, acquisitions and mergers that will happen because it's, it's sort of like a safe bet. It's sort of like saying, we know that the economy is on its way back. We're willing to spend money on some growth to build out our company, but we're not willing to start anything new. We're willing to take somebody else's business, their good idea, and build it into our own in order to provide that growth. So what I'm saying is, is that over the course of the next year or so, if you're one of these people that have been dealing with the, um, the uncertainties of the economic market, um, what you're going to have a lot of is um, bigger companies that were healthy, um, buying weaker companies that um, were doing okay before the crash, but now have are of less value and can easily be absorbed in, in profit. And um, that, of course, leads to layoffs and new hiring. It's, it's an interesting thing, too. When you ever hear about um, many of these corporations uh, laying off their employees, you'll hear situations where uh, HP has said that they're going to lay off 30,000 employees over the course of the next five years. Um, you know, that's sad. You know, 30,000 people are, are losing their job. But what that really tends to mean is that the um, inside large corporations, they have many um, jobs that are listed as, you know, that's your, your job responsibility. Like, you might be working at, the, that, at, at HP in the call center, right? You might be the call center manager, and you might manage the call center for the IPAC. Okay, and that's what you do. You handle the call centers for the for the IPAC, and um, the uh, the supervisor will come in and he'll be like, "All right, we're getting rid of the IPAC. We're not going to have the IPAC anymore because we just bought um, uh, I don't know the, the uh, Nova Stone. Okay, and we're going to use Nova Stone. We're not going to use the IPAC anymore. So we're going to close this all down. Well, that job has been eliminated. Your job is going to be eliminated." Uh, they're going to phase it out. But you're not necessarily going to lose employment, which is kind of a different thing. The job is gone, but the employment, mm, that's question mark. They may not need as many people at the Nova Stone, or depending on how HP decides to fund it, may need more people. So you may hear about a $10,000 $10, jobs loss at HP, but the, the manager of the call center that you had, you might be able to go over to Nova Stone and have you know, stay with the company, so stay with your benefits, your plan, and everything, but end up with a new job. Just, it's a different job. So, uh, this is something that is a little bit weird. You have to kind of keep your eye on the ball on that, because it it, it, it depends uh, greatly on how the job losses were actually, you know, actually came about. In a lot of cases, you know, if a company says, we're laying off 3,000 people because uh, we're out of money, well, those 3,000 people are out of a freaking job, you know, and, and everybody knows what that's like. Um, but 
in some cases, you'll hear about it, and you, and you start to think, geez, man, there's been so many people losing their jobs. Where are, you know, shouldn't the people just be, like, homeless, just running the streets like crazy? You know, I mean, it'd be, it just should be madhouse around here, and you wonder, what, where are they all at? Well, the thing is, it's, it's a little bit crazy. I mean, it's, it's like, yeah, people lose their job, but it's just that the job has just moved around. But you may not be... You, you may be in a position, and you may not qualify for the other position, because when they hire internally, too, they look for certain things. It's kind of funny, but if you were the call center manager for the IPAC, and you wanted to go over to Novastone, Novastone might have requirements that you no longer qualify for. And you might be like, well, look, man, I'm the freaking call center manager for the IPAC. That's true, you are for the IPAC, but with Novastone, we're looking for somebody that has sales experience, and you have none, so... Uh, you don't qualify for this job, but we do have some room in the mail room for you. I mean, I you know, that's just how it is. So anyway, my point, though, is basically keep your eye out on these acquisitions. You should see a lot more of them coming over the course of the next year, and a lot of uh, topsy-turvy things are going to go. As far as um, the job market is concerned, I don't think we're going to see any kind of um, big pickup uh, uh, in the short term on that. In the long term, it'll, be, um, it'll take... A number of years, I think, before we get everybody back to work. One of the biggest problems is, is when you have this many people out of work, um, you you need better than healthy job growth. So even if job growth um, becomes normal, where we start adding, say, 300,000 jobs a month to the payrolls again, um, you know that is a, is a, is a trickle compared to how many people enter the job market every year. So if you know if you have 150,000 people entering the job market, excuse me, every month, 150,000 enter the job market every month, then you have only you know, and you in in the job growth is another 150,000. So you have 150,000 extra jobs a month. That's that's fairly good. But if you have millions and millions of people out of work, then it's going to take a long time if you go month to month to month with only 150,000 new jobs available. So it's going to take a long time to get us out of this, um, you know, close to double-digit unemployment that the country is having to get us back down to a normal rate of somewhere around 4.5% um, unemployment. Okay, so it's 114. Uh, I'm not going to talk about diet this time. I think I'll talk about diet next time because this is a longer topic and don't want to get into a big uh, tangent about that. But um, uh, the last thing I'll talk about is a little technology, and it's about um, Clear, and it's about WiMAX. And uh, basically... Uh, the there is uh, 4G. What is 4G? Some people sometimes don't know what the hell 4G is. Uh, when you hear the 3G, the 2G, the 4G, uh, that just means fourth generation um, wireless. Okay, that just means that the technology that they're using to talk to your phone is um, a different generation than the generation before. It's just like game consoles, your PlayStation. Maybe we'd call that one Generation 1. Your PlayStation 2 would be, you know, 2G. The PlayStation 3 would be 3G. Um, each one of those is a generational difference. Uh, the same thing is with the technology that goes into the phones. Now, um, one phone carrier's uh, 3G technology is not the same as another phone carrier's 3G technology. They, they're actually different because third generation is just very dynamic. It's just a way of benchmarking the next generation of, of wireless communication. Um, one of the things, though, that um, uh, people talk about when they talk about uh, 3G and 4G is the um, the speed of the internet that goes through the wireless, and 3G tends to be like a um, a very slow, um, almost like a um, uh, uh, yeah, basic 
DSL service, really, not, you know, like the 128K cheapo DSL, or maybe even like an ISDN connection. On your phone, it's probably fine, because, you know, you've got a little screen, you're not pulling in a lot of information, you can watch a little video with it. Um, if you've got a good signal, it's okay. Um, but, you know, to do any kind of serious sort of stuff with it, you know, like um, watching high-definition TV or anything like that, you're never going to get it done with a 3G signal. Um, so there's been this... Uh, talk and push to go to 4G and um, only one carrier right now is uh, has 4G and it's in um, limited markets which is Sprint uh, basically um, there was a guy a, a rich guy um, made his money on eBay or something like that and um, he uh, created a company called Clearwire and he used uh, Intel's technology called WiMAX and WiMAX um, wasn't really done yet when he started Clearwire. Um, so they had this sort of draft spec. And basically, WiMAX, they would, with this Clearwire, they would go up and they would um, put this stuff on poles and they would actually sell it as a home service, not as a, not as a, um, not as a phone service, but as a home service. So you would have wireless um, within about a mile or two mile area from wherever the towers are. So if you have you know, lots of cell towers around, you basically had uh, wireless that you could get anywhere, um, wherever you went. You had this little box, you take it with you, you go you know, anywhere you want, and you get wireless. That's just how it works. Um, unfortunately, uh, you know, because it was a draft spec, it wasn't always very reliable. Uh, Intel made some improvements and eventually came out with uh, the final WiMAX and sat down with um, Comcast as well as Sprint and um, uh, Clearwire, uh, this billionaire guy's company. And um, they formed a new company, all of them together, and they call it Clear. And it's not the same as Clearwire. Clear is a, it has billions of dollars in um, money that was given to it from Intel, Comcast, and Sprint, and uh, a couple other smaller players, and they um, they funded this in order to uh, roll out this um, WiMAX uh, all over wherever Sprint has um, cell towers, basically, and or cell tower licenses. So um, WiMAX has been going up in cities after cities under, under various brands. If you have Comcast, Comcast might sell it to you. If you have um, Clearwire in your area, Clearwire might sell it to you. Um, if you have Sprint now, on like a Sprint phone, you can get 4G for your phone, and it's, and it's in this WiMAX technology. The other phone companies plan to roll out their own 4G, although it's a question mark exactly when this is going to be. Um, because they're getting kind of behind, and they're using an alternative technology called LTE. Um, the thing is with LTE is that you've got three carriers versus one. You have T-Mobile, you have AT&T, and you have Verizon, all using the same technology. You only have Sprint, technically, on the phone market using WiMAX. But, of course, like I said, again, you have Comcast, Intel, and um, Clearwire, as well as Sprint, um, selling and supporting it, which are some big companies. So um, it's kind of like the Blu-ray versus HD DVD battle. Um, no, because even today with 3G, we have different technologies running and everybody can go, you know, get along fine. Here's the thing, though. I think, ultimately, WiMAX 
is the better technology than the LTE. Why is that? The thing is, is that the way the um, phone systems work right now, especially with 3G, but possibly also with LTE, is that the you can equate it in your mind to what dial-up modem was like. It is an it, it, cellular packet technology was designed for voice communication. It was designed for you to have a nice phone call. It wasn't really designed for data. And the cell towers that are around aren't really designed to manage uh, lots and lots of data. Um, they don't scale, and they and they. And the, this voice transmission that goes over this cell is, you know, of a certain size. It's not really adjustable. Um, you know, you know, in, it doesn't have a, a sort of a IP-based, bit-based uh, system behind it. So it, um, you know, it goes through the same sort of thing where it has to translate and do all this kind of fun stuff in order to get the, you know, the the audio in. And what you end up with is capacity problems. AT and T is dealing with these capacity problems right now. Uh, trying to deal with the iPhone because they can't scale. And so they've gone ahead and they've sort of said, you know what, we're just going to like start charging after, you know, $25 for 2 gig and $25 for another 2 gig for their unlimited plans because they're not going to have unlimited plans anymore. And anybody else that tries to jump on with such a, you know, successful phone system service and is using these um, antiquated systems is going to face the same problems. The reason why, Max, Sprint, still, if you have Sprint, you will you can get an unlimited plan that's actually completely unlimited. Um, they uh, they don't actually um, throttle you until you if you actually get tethering on their four G phone, then when you reach the five gigabyte barrier that they have, they just tether you. They they just uh, excuse me they um, they throttle you so that you just slow down. Uh, the amount of uh, speed you're using because in some cases with their 4G you can actually get 10 megabit uh, if you're close enough to the to the um, to the WiMAX tower. Um, that's how fast their 4G will run. In most cases, you'll be running T1 speeds. You can drive around and watch like a movie uh, on it, and it is um, uh, very scalable because it is a pure digital system. It is designed um, to to uh, handle the sort of Super Bowl type traffic and, and by Super Bowl traffic I mean if you are having the Super Bowl imagine you have all of those people you know in in the bowl right there and they're all using their phones and texting and stuff and imagine you're the lone cell tower out there trying to manage a stadium worth of people and a lot of times there's a lot of problems with that and people's connections don't go so well and WiMAX was designed to be able to handle this kind of massive traffic it is a um, it is a really good system. Now, it's not to say that LTE might not be able to be a good system too. It's just not being it, it's not really being established. And um, in Taiwan, they have both of these things kind of going on. And, and basically, they have a lot of WiMAX over LTE because uh, they've you know their population over there is is found it easier to work with. I, I think that uh, betting against Intel can usually be the the wrong thing to do. Um, and you know, eventually, we 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 end up in a system like we have today, where um, you know, AT and T is lucky that they have the iPhone because nobody would stick with their service with these sorts of call plans that they have. And you have Sprint now taking advantage because um, when you're in a 4G area, the um, capability of the phone that they're able to give you now is um, light years ahead of what AT&T is able to give you, and they can, you know, charge you a lot less. Um, 
It's not to say, though, that they can't get overloaded just like anything. I mean, there's any number of connections, and it depends on how they build out their cell towers. I mean, it's not like they're putting in um, OC-192 pipes into their cell tower in order to drive traffic out of them. Uh, you know, it's not an endless, it's not an endless pipe, but it, it is not something that's going to drop calls and, and um, uh, harass you the way um, the AT&T service does because of its, um, its shortcomings in the technology that they use. So um, I keep an eye on that. I, I, have a, um, I have some interesting thoughts on the fact that I think Sprint made some very smart decisions. They've been a very quiet phone company. You don't hear too much about them. You mostly hear about Verizon and AT&T. Sprint tends to be under the radar. And the reason they've been doing that, again, is because they've been building this thing out. And um, they're really going to be in a, in a, a, a better position because as this 4G, you know, as 3G continue, you know, as the years click by and the 3G seems to get slower and, and, and slower, um, a lot of people are going to be looking for the, for the next best thing. And Sprint, meanwhile, will have all this bandwidth and they'll be able to, you know, deploy all of this technology um, into their phones um, that uh, the other carriers are, caught, you know, charging you a premium for in order to get. So... I just say keep my eye on it. You never know with businesses and things like that. You know, Sprint's had its own ups and downs over the years, but um, uh, there's a lot of money going into this WiMAX technology, so I think it's uh, something that um, could turn into, uh, you know, a big deal later on. Okay, that's it. Uh, you know, uh, I, I'm planning on having a, a couple of guys, two or three guys on, on the next um, few shows uh, for some interviews. I've got some interesting stuff lined up, so I hope everybody really enjoys the show and continues to listen. Um, I don't have a schedule for everything yet. I got to work with them in order to get it done. I got a couple of major projects going on in my own life, uh, as far as work is concerned. That's kind of taking up a lot of my time. So um, keep an eye on BlogTalkRadio.com/vgn to get the schedule of the shows. And um, I'm always trying to update them whenever I get something uh, put down. You know, you can subscribe to that too, and it sends you like a little reminder in your email if you want to know whenever a new show has been scheduled or when it's going to start playing soon, uh, so you can get a reminder for the show. So. Um, that's it. I don't really have an outro for this, but if you want to send me an email, talk about anything on the show, you can send it to kbaird, that's K-B-A-I-R-D, at vgn.us. And again, you can go to the website, videogamenews.com. First post on the front page. Just click on that. It tells you how to get Kevin's Old Blast Radio, as well as Video Game News Radio, Midwest Ways, Langley, Sports Radio, My Take Radio, Tumbling with Tumbleweed, and all the other shows we do. So check it out. Thanks for listening. Talk to you later. Peace. Mm-hmm.